that Jesus is here by his spirit and interacting with us. Okay, it's a rhetorical question, but you need to be honest. Do you believe that God is actually here and interacting with us? That's the great divide in Christianity today. There's a whole lot of people who don't believe that. They believe that Christianity is all internal. It all has to do with what I believe inside, how it affects me, but that God actually isn't interacting anymore. What do you believe? Last week, God was speaking to us about restoration. There were a number of words about that. I had planned for a couple months something different to speak this morning, but felt like the Holy Spirit said he wasn't finished. And then Kate got up and shared Isaiah 58, that God's not finished with restoration, uh, which helped me quite a bit because I kept thinking, am I just missing this? Uh, but what I want you to, to get this morning is that God's heart for restoration is part of a much bigger picture. And it's his heart for people. Just his heart for people. Are you a people? If you're a person, then it applies to you. One of the lines in one of the songs we sang is, uh, a flash of light come breaking through or something like that. I just thought, you know, God's still bringing flashes of light. Resurrecting people, restoring people, touching people. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. I've got about half the Bible to share with you this morning. I've got a whole lot of scriptures. Guys give me a tough time because I read a lot of scripture and then every once in a while I don't and they say, what? You're backslidden. <laughs> you weren't reading six chapters today. Uh, forgive me for holding this close. It's much darker in here than I prefer. So I can't quite see. Right, Andrew? That, that was Andrew's problem. That's why he had to get his glasses out. I'll stand over here in the light. Luke 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke a parable to them. I want you to understand, the parable is to two groups of people, the tax collectors and the sinners, and the Pharisees and the scribes. They were both there. Too often we miss that. But understand, as he's saying this, he's actually saying two different things. The tax collectors and the sinners hear one side of it. The Pharisees and the scribes hear the other side of it. So he spoke a parable, and you know this. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one? Finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. 
What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it, and when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he goes on to another one. Let me just say this in passing real quick. One of the points of this is that even though one of these was out of place, it didn't lose its value. The sheep that was lost was just as valuable. The gold piece that was lost didn't lose its value. It was just out of place. Then he says, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now understand what this is. Most of you would know this. But at uh, the death of a person in this culture, two-thirds of his, his estate went to the older son and one-third went to the younger son. So the younger son is coming and saying, God, he's saying, Father, I don't have patience enough to wait till you to die. Give me my inheritance now. Just die, will you? Give me my inheritance now. And he took it. You know the story. Uh, and he gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions. And when he had spent all, there was a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country. And he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. So he's gotten down to the bottom of the bottom. Verse 17, and when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of, the, of your hired servants. And he rose and he came to his father but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. He was looking and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and no longer will you be called your son. But the father said to his servants, then let him finish. He had this whole speech planned and the father didn't even let him finish. Said to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. God's heart for people is that he's looking. And there's a total restoration Before we came here, God spoke a number of things to me and then to others about what he wanted to do here. Wasn't my plan, but I want to read some of those to you. Because I want you to know that this was God's heart long before we started. Nehemiah 4, verse 2 
the second half says, will they revive these stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Another translation says, can these burned stones live again? Interesting. Stones aren't living. Even before they're burnt. Yet, one Peter talks about God building us together as living stones. Something of his heart. Isaiah 58. God spoke to me a number of months before we came here. Kate read most of it this morning. I want to read a couple of verses. Talking about God's heart for people. From 11, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought, strengthen your bones, and you shall be a, like a water garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And those from among you shall build the old waste places, and they shall raise up the foundation of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Something of God's heart of restoration. Isaiah 61. Verse 4. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, and thou shalt raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities. The desolation of many generations. Verse 6. And you shall be named the priests of the Lord, and they shall call you the servants of our God. Verse 7, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy will be theirs. I know I'm laboring this, but I want you to get God's heart. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, and the Lord appeared of old, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt. Verse 11, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord. For wheat to new wine and oil and the young of the flock and the herd their souls shall be like a well-watered garden. We were a watered garden before. Now it's a well-watered garden. In verse 17, there is hope in your future, says the Lord. One more. Have patience with me. Ezekiel 37. God spoke this to us, but to about three other churches as they were praying for us in a prophetic sense. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there was very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, son of man, can these bones live? Dry bones live. Sounds like burnt stones. Can they live again? And indeed, uh, and I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. That was probably wise. 
I have no clue, but I'm not going to say no, <laughs> because obviously there's something more to this. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin came upon them, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the, north, from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. He said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves, I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. God's heart is breathing restoration and life again. That's what he's doing. I want to tell you this morning, whether you've made bad choices or whether you've been the victim of others' bad choices, God wants to breathe life again. But the key is this. Redemption and restoration are in Jesus, not in the church. Even though we have redemption in our name, we're not the redeemer. Jesus is. Why is that? Because the church is people. True, it's people who are being conformed to the image of Christ, but the key is that being conformed. Not quite perfect yet. In spite of what people might think, the church is not made up of perfect, righteous people. That's why we were laughing as Liz was sharing that, because we all go, look around and go, yeah, not here. <laughs> See, the bottom line is there's no perfect church. And there never will be. That's why we focus on Jesus. Yeah. He's the Redeemer. His presence brings life. Not our excellence, not whether we have the right lights or the right sound or are trained to do the right things. It's his presence that changes us. God restores. There's hope in your future. 
But what I want to say this morning is it's not, it is for us as individuals, but it's not just for us as individuals, but it's for us as a city. I believe that there have been times in the past when God's been restoring truth by his spirit, but for some reason it hasn't ever come to fruition. Whether it's that we're a kingdom of priests and we're all ministers, and as leaders we get insecure, we don't want everyone doing our job, so we say, no, you can't do that. Or whether it's moving in the fullness of the Spirit. You know, moving in the Spirit is actually challenging from a leadership perspective. Because times like last week, we don't know what's going to happen. Most, not most, a whole portion of the Christian church has done away with the concept that God's alive and interacting among us because they're uncomfortable with the unpredictability of what happens when the Holy Spirit moves. I'm not in control. I'd much rather be in control because I'm, I'm more comfortable with that. But when the Holy Spirit moves, we're not in control. And so often leaders shut down the moving of the Holy Spirit because it's just uncomfortable. Guys get up here to, to share, and I'm going, I wonder what he's going to say. I wonder what she's going to say. I wonder what's going to happen. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? How are you tying all this together? But God does exactly that. I believe there was a restoring in the uh, 1990s, in the early 2000s, of something of the fivefold ministry. But as presented in the Bible, it's not hierarchy. It's not having authority over people. It's gifts that come to equip the saints. He's extending his kingdom. Not church. That's a byproduct. Connecting people to Jesus. So in the midst of this restoration, there's another word, rebuild. It's time to build again. I want to say to you, it's time to build again. If God's restoring you, that's wonderful. But he's restoring you for the purpose of being a part of what he's doing. Yes. Not so that you can just be fat and happy and say, oh, yes, I'm, I'm wonderful now. No, he's restoring to what he has as we together are part of his building. But building what? Building the kingdom, not the church. I want to tell you, I believe church growth is a byproduct of life. It's not a goal. It's a byproduct. But people connect, connecting to Jesus brings life. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When we make church growth the goal, rather than connecting people to Jesus the goal... We don't actually have life. When we connect people to Jesus, we have life. And the byproduct is that we have growth. Growth is never the goal. What are we building? We're building the kingdom. We're building saints. Not programs. Equipping all the saints to do the ministry. You know, God's plan 
is that every one of us gets to do the ministry. So we gather on Sundays to worship him and to get inspired and enthused and we go out and we touch the, the spheres of influence that we have with the life of God. That's what he's doing. Yeah, that, that works in American football. <laughs> My wife's telling me an illustration. If you know American football, gridiron you call it, that the team gets together, they have a little huddle, and they call the play, and then they go out and they actually do the play. That's what's happening when they gather together. It looks kind of weird for those of you who don't know that. This is like the huddle, where we get together and Jesus tells us what he's doing, and then we go out and we actually do it. It's time to build. Time to build the kingdom. Time to build the saints. And I want to add, time to build a place for the supernatural. See, it's the presence of God that changes things. How in the world did a huge portion of the church get to the place where they don't actually believe that God interacts with us anymore? They got away from the authority of the word. They got away from expecting God to move. They got uncomfortable. Let me say this. I hope we never get to the place where we're not giving place for God to do what only he can do. Mary and I were reading uh, portions of a book this week, and a couple of Christian thinkers a number of years ago wrote an article, and they said, mainstream church has begun to function as if they were atheists. They do fine if God doesn't show up. In fact, they make decisions and approach everything as if God isn't here. Folks, we need to be careful that we don't ever fall into that trap. That's the lie of the enemy to get us to the point of saying we can do it on our own. We can't. We never will be. I want to encourage you. God speaking restoration. Wasn't what I had planned to share this morning. God made it very clear through a number of words last week, reaffirmed through the number of words this morning, and building. Restoration and rebuilding. He's building us as living stones into a dwelling place of God. I want to ask you are you letting Him build you? Would you bow your head? Jesus is the healer. If you've been hurt, will you allow Jesus to heal you? Jesus is the restorer. If you felt like you've been put on the sidelines, or the things that he's spoken into your heart have died because of circumstances, will you allow him to restore it? But he's also the rebuilder.
will you allow him to build you together with others that we can be a light in the city, that you can be a light. See, Jesus says twice he's the light of the world. He says, once I'm the light of the world, and then the second time he says, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then he says this amazing thing to his disciples. He says, you're the light of the world. You're the light. You are what is withholding the darkness. Think about that for a second. The darkness is trying to rush in, but the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You're the light in your sphere of influence. You're what's holding the darkness back. If you allow God to empower you and to use you. We don't always finish with a song, but we're going to today. I'm saying that because that's a hit to Tim. <laughs> Find a song, buddy. <laughs> there are times when we need people praying with us and around us, but there's at times when we just need to press in and touch Jesus alone. Jesus walking along and the woman fought through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. She touched him, and something happened. There are times when we need the crowd around us, but there's times when we just need him to touch us. So I'm gonna ask you if you'd stand. And as we sing this, will you allow God to just speak into your heart? You can. I would never say don't to my wife. <laughs> 